This is a Henley Intelligence Conversation. Welcome to Henley Intelligence. This is a series of our podcasts and internet radio that we do out of Henley Business School in Africa. And it's a real privilege to welcome Wayne Duvenage, the Chief Executive Officer at Outer, which is the organization undoing tax abuse, which has been getting a lot of profile as an activist organization in South Africa, fighting against what, Wayne? Well, holding government accountable is the byline. We, uh, we challenge the abuse of authority uh, by those in power who maladminister and corruptly use our taxes. So uh, we go after the individual. We make them feel the pain of their transgressions. We, we put them in jail <clears throat> if they need to be there. Um, as opposed to departments, as opposed to, you know, trying to hold in the, the whole department of energy or whatever. So if people are involved in corruption and maladministration, they need to know that they are responsible and they will personally be held accountable. So there's a non-activist movement against bodies and entities. So what you've made this is very direct. So if you're in power and you're using that power inappropriately and you're taking money or stealing money, which should be allocated to good social ends and good national ends, you're going to go after those people. Is that right? Absolutely. And, uh, and I think what we've done differently to most NGOs in this space is we don't want to be a watchdog. We want to be an attack dog. Now, what that means is you need to have teeth. And teeth in this space is being able to challenge people and hold them accountable means to take them to court. To do that, you have to have money or you fight it differently by building your own litigation capacity. And that's what we've done. So we can build affidavits, uh, get the evidence from whistleblowers and lay charges very quickly because we've got now got a team of an advocate and six lawyers that build cases fast and cheap. Otherwise, you waste a lot of money on external mm. lawyers. And, and we've had our experiences of that. So a lot of learning has gone into the, into the structure of Outer. So, so how long has, has Outer been reworking and what's the genesis of it? Well, it started in 2012, where as business, we challenged a very irrational decision of government to introduce uh, e-tolling as a, a funding mechanism for freeway, urban freeway upgrades. To cut a long story short there, that fight is being won through a very coordinated and well put together civil acti activism and a, and, a, and a civil disobedience campaign and society we've been very moved by how they've come on board with that but that was three that was in 2012 three years in we started to get a lot of calls to take Arta's energy into challenging broader irrational decisions by government policy and corruptions particularly corruption and maladministration and we said we would do so if we got the funding model right so that we could build a structure that 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 would work and that's where we are now we uh we, we, we've gone from one project, which is ETOLs, to 78 uh, in, two, in the last two years and growing. And we, have, uh, we build cases and we, and we tackle individuals and entities that are really just out of line, wasting our taxpayers' money. So that's 78 cases you're working on, and you've, you've built it from how many people were you over? So it was three people two yeah. and a half years ago, yeah. um, you know, all not working for salaries, by the way, the first three years. It mm. was all voluntary uh, run until we got the model right, and now we have 43 staff and growing, and we built it in a, in a functional structure. So we have these specialist uh, project managers who know their stuff in energy, transports, almost mirroring governments, mm. departments, and water, and 
environment and, 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 and education and health. And they are propped up and supported by four teams, one uh, litigation, the other uh, investigations, then research and communications. Communications really just brings it all together, makes sure that our media statements are well, uh, you know, professional and well put together. Uh, our, our memes and our small uh, short video clips are, are, are done properly and our uh, position papers that we put out, the opinion mm. pieces and so forth. So when you bring all of that together, then underpin that with a proper marketing department, finance management, HR, getting the the best people in. And that was another fundamental change we implemented here is you cannot run you can't be effective in civil intervention if you're trying to run this in volunteers. I'm not saying volunteers aren't mm. good for this space, but these cases take years. You know, so I uh, would right. charges of delinquent directorship against Dudumnyeni, for instance. And these take years. Uh, so you've got to have the continuity of people that understand the cases and, and building those. And so we've decided that we will employ people at market-related salaries, professional people. And, and, and so to do that, you've got to have the funds. And then the, and then the, the final element of that is the sustainability of this means you build a funding model that is long-term and sustainable. And we are funded 100% by people, uh, the public, and small and medium-sized businesses, not big business. Not big business. Not big business, not international, and no political parties, no big donor foundations, because those, when you start to rely on them, you you come in these big amounts in in, in tranches, and you lose one or two, and you have to start retrenching. Mm. So we we prefer this crowdfunding model of tens of thousands of people giving us a hundred rand, hundred and twenty rand. Average is one hundred and fifty rand a month, and uh, we have to remain relevant to them. So that's fascinating. So because part of your work is not just about hitting individuals in government, is it? You're just as active about confronting individuals who have been working in corrupt or collusive ways mm. in business, aren't you? Yeah, and we need to get more into that space. I mm. think our focus is on where who holds the checkbook, and that's right. government. So, so we've got to go and tackle those individuals who have really trashed our state-owned institutions, for instance, uh, Eskom, SAA, uh, uh, Transnet, and now the list is long, uh, SABC, and, and, and partially in Sanral, who've allowed uh, who've allowed inconsistencies in road construction costs, and, and there's been some collusion uh, in the road construction mm. industry, as you know. So the other side of the corruption coin though is business it is the people that are allowing these inflated prices to be passed on to government with a lot of middlemen but more than allowing it's almost colluding actively yeah. in some cases yeah they are. Part of they the are they are part of the problem mm. because uh, they know that that they shouldn't be selling uh, their services to government at inflated prices mm. but they disguise it as middlemen and finders fees are paid and this is where we want to start going and stroking the conscience of business and the auditing industry who you know is in, in disarray with the kpmg matter mm. they have have to introduce a new normal in the space of auditing. They've got to look deeper for the corruption, and we've got to start implementing laws, maybe, that says finders' fees in transactions with government is illegal. Right. And that's a conversation I'd love us to have. Speaking to uh, the Canadian uh, ambassador out here at the Canadian Business Chamber, and they were saying that facilitation or finders' fees 
in, when businesses operate outside of Canada in, in, in countries where f- facilitation fees start taking place, they regard that as corruption, full stop. Yeah. Now, we should start having the same uh, conversation and rules. Blast. I remember there was a transition, from, I remember from the 80s, and whatever, I used to be in a business selling airliners in Africa mm. and the Middle East, and it was a, an interesting environment to, to live in, to say the least. And that idea of having middlemen was, was, in a sense, very prevalent at the time. But laws changed, and the U.S. changed their laws as well about intermediaries internationally, and that's mm. good to hear that Canada are doing the same. Because this is a system, isn't it? Yeah. What you're talking about here is a system, a highly organized system of state capture. Is, is that right? That's exactly So, So what's your view? What, what, what is state capture in, in, in the words of Wayne Duvenage? Well, it's a very orchestrated, well-orchestrated, clever plan to get money out of the system, out of government's coffers and into the hands of a few people. That's simply to make yourselves extremely wealthy and rich. And uh, what we've also looked and found as part of the modus operandi is to get into these state-owned institutions because that's where the big capital expenditure projects are right. take place, power stations, roads, uh, dams, uh, stadiums, and so forth. And if you look back, which is what we've recently done, you'll find that in all these state-owned institutions, they started revaluing their assets right. back in 2009 to 2011. And when you look at the graph – uh, of the balance sheets of these state and institutions, you, I think you will find the biggest crime, financial crime in the world that makes Steinhoff look like child's play. Let me explain to you what's sure. happened here. Is that um, the asset revaluation is fine according to the uh, uh, you know the international accounting and the and, and, and IFRS standards. Very well, if you're able to trade those. In other words, if your business has a big building and a and a car train uh, uh, tube station uh, opens up near you and your value of your property goes up, that's okay. But who trades South Africa's roads? Are they to be sold, uh, power stations and so forth? And and so what they did was revalue the assets, the liabilities were low, and then they went to the lending houses to borrow money. And this is where it really starts to get sick, is that those lending houses would never have lent these institutions that money if they were just JSE listed. But because the bonds were backed by government and they had lucrative interest rates attached to them, it was a case of, well, how much do you want? So, so when they revalued, what are you saying? How did they revalue them? So well, that's they, the other question. So how I mean, do you revalue? Inflated the asset prices. We right? think they re- yeah. inflated them. They revalued them at, at replacement value, a depreciated replacement value. Mm. Now, that's all very well and fine, but you cannot sell them. They're not tradable assets. Right. You know, government doesn't go and say, let's sell our power stations now because uh, we want a return on them. They are an asset that provides uh, security and services to the country, as do roads. So Sanwell, they've revalued all their roads. Uh, suddenly, they're able to borrow against that, borrow in inverted commas. Um, on why, what in, basis? why in inverted commas? Well, because... If you're going to, as a bank, lend money to Sanral on the the basis that there were these lovely asset values, what if things go belly up? Can I get my money back? Are you going to sell the roads? You can't. There's no collateral. No, there's no collateral. But but, but in inverted commas, there is because now it's backed by government guarantees, which is not the case for normal business when they are listed on the JSC. So you're left with an SOE with (coughs) 
massive debts against no security. Massive debt, interest-bearing debt. So, yeah. so it's a 350, 60 billion rand of interest-bearing debt. And who's paying that? You and I. Exactly. In, in higher in, in electricity prices. Right. Or in bailouts, SAA, um, uh, uh, Sanral has to get increased uh, tranches from Treasury, Transnet. Uh, it's right. just the list goes on and on and on. So this is this is absolutely wrong. It's sick what's happened here, and we are now indebted for for our children indebted. And is there more to this apart from this indebtedness? How is this money being used, and what's the accountability, and who's signing off? the audits or signing off this approval well, this is for, the question this, this yeah. is the questions we now have there are mm. many institutions and oversight organizations that need to look at themselves how mm. did they not raise the alarm bells long long time ago a lot earlier than what they have done now if you go to the future growths and the and the investment houses they are saying oh no we're not going to lend to state owned institutions well why did you lend just as long as 2 years ago why when you could see what what was happening did you continue to lend this money um, what was the JSE doing because they're involved they need to have oversight what was the Auditor General saying about this what are the uh, what is Erba the 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 the, um, uh, the regulator on, on, on auditing gonna say about this so as we start to unpack this and put it out there to, as a position paper uh, we want answers because as I said if you know Normal business does this, like Steinhoff, there's big trouble. People have to go and sit. And what about the finance people and the auditors inside those own institutions? Six, seven years ago at Sanral, at, at uh, Eskom, were seeing this happening. The boards were seeing and signing it off. So there's a lot of people. So is this money, <clears throat> A, being used well? And you mentioned the agency model in that in that conversation by Canada. And are there middlemen involved in this sort of thing? So are we looking at a situation where money has been taken in and well applied under good governance, even though it might have been inappropriately borrowed? Or are we looking at money which is evaporating or it's going evaporate. offshore in people's pockets? This is pockets? corruption. This is blatant corruption. Just have a look at Madupi and Kusili and Angula. Mm. Angula was passed at a budget of 8.9 billion rand. This is the mm. hydropower station in, in the Highlands uh, uh, project. And uh, it ended up at 30 billion rand. Look at the connected companies and you see how if you just – we've done some basic analysis from whistleblower information. The auditors – when either fast asleep or just non-existent. It's so simple to find the corruption. If you look at uh, Kusili so and Madupi. Private companies like big audit houses. Big. Uh, uh, international Yes, and companies. they are, they are the, the, the Italian uh, companies involved here, and they're mm. coming out here because we've started to raise the flag, and they're coming to do their own audits. And mm. uh, and these are with companies that have connected people on their on their, on their boards. So mm. I don't want to mention too many of these companies' names, but but just have a look at Medupi and Kusile. Those uh, power plants, uh, power stations, were budgeted initially at about 78 to 80 billion rand. So combine that right about 150 billion rand together. The, those costs, as it is, is double what you could what what other countries are building these power stations uh, at over uh, double, and yet we sit here today. And those two power stations have cost 450 billion. They are three years behind projects. Still another three years to finish them if they ever get there. And this is partly because the money that has been taken in has been given to i mean has that money been given to organizations that are the best in the game that are no. the leanest and the, no, there's just where's it where's it go? Who, just, who's getting a contract just, there are there are 
many contracts yeah. and it just goes on and on and on. So they don't stop building these massive projects. And if you've got the catering contract, the, the cleaning, the guarding contracts, where, whatever it is at these big power plants that are, that are continuously being built, just, it's like a never ending uh, capital expenditure project. As I said, from, from 70 billion rand or 150 for those two power stations to now 450 and still not finished. Well, where but, do you think but, but we, we need catering. We need all those things. So spending money on catering is not a problem, right? It just doesn't stop there. So these, but but these is it going to companies that are effective? So is this, so the, the tenders that go out, is it going to companies that connected, are the best Connected in the game? people at, at inflated prices. And who, who, who are not necessarily good at what they do, yes. is that what you're saying? So there's an added waste. Yeah. So this, this inflation from, you know, from 150 to 400 billion, that, that sounds like an abstract number. I mean, that's just figures. Who really suffers here? You and I suffer because what has happened is the electricity price has gone up. I mean, Eskom was earning 39 billion rand in 2006. It's now close to 200 billion. There's no increase in output. Your and our increases in electricity has gone up by 370% in the last 12 years. Shouldn't have happened. Shouldn't but, have but happened. We're, we're so we're of, paying. We're sort of middle class kind of people with jobs and all that sort of stuff. So that's something we could cope. Where where is this heat really felt in the country? Well, you can't you can't cope. Middle class. Uh, this is an indirect tax when your electricity mm. price goes up like that. But the real pain is felt in businesses whose electricity bills now have gone through the roof, have had to shed jobs. They've had to obviously become more efficient, and that's a good thing. Uh, but when you're forced to do so at a rapid rate, people suffer. Businesses have closed down. So it stops business growing. It stops on entrepreneurial opportunity. It stops people who are the poorest, in a sense, finding opportunity yeah. because the system they're entering into is just less effective, less exactly. efficient. So it just keeps people in poverty traps. Is that is that the kind of the that's, that's causality? That's exactly happening on, on energy right. costs. Yeah. Road construction. You build roads at half the price in the rest of Africa, in Europe, and in America to what we pay here per kilometer, per unit. Half the price. <clears throat> half the price. Mm. Uh, just Sandrell's road construction costs, if you look at them, uh, how they've shot up as a result of this. If you just take the Gauteng Free Improvement Project, we've taken two work packages. There were 15 of them. You strip out the interchanges because they are a little bit different on two different work mm -hmm. packages, 10 kilometers each long. Strip out the bridges and just look at the, the, the resurfacing of three lanes and adding one lane. The same work, same methodology applied. One piece is double the price than another. Per unit. Are these labor-intensive projects normally, or yeah, machine-intensive? Yeah, yeah, making roads, but the but the the same methodology applied on the stretch between Galulis and the airport oh. uh, to 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 another section. So, in a developed com country with very high costs of labor, mm -hmm. you know, using the same sort of equipment, which might be subject to yeah. some tax when it comes in here, but not much. Yeah. You're saying it's going to cost two or three times it where you've got between, low costs of labor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's mm. just, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous what happened. And when you start comparing and benchmarking uh, Sanro's projects to recent other projects, and you start saying, why is this price so high? And then you hear the collusion in the construction industry. And then here's another problem. The Construction Industry Development Board, a government entity mm. that is supposed mm. to exercise oversight, looks away and does nothing. And when its CEO starts asking tough questions on just this Gauteng matter, he is pushed out of the organization. 
So is this, we started talking about what is state capture. This is all part of it. So state capture is, is, is a, a highly systematic, highly logical, rational, intellectually coherent and well thought through process, capturing all the organs that of oversight yeah. and all the methodologies of paying. Is that yeah. right? For a few people's interests. Yeah. When you say a few, I mean a few thousand or a few hundred people earn others because you couldn't, not everybody's going to be able to manage that. But it's so it's people on the inside in government making sure that the tenders and the processes uh, 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 feed into people on the outside who've got the infrastructure and ability right, to right. do the, the big capital expenditure projects. And then you hijack also the oversight bodies, mm -hmm. uh, certainly the Hawks and the NPA. Right. And as you've seen, they've slowed right down. It's mm -hmm. obviously going to be changing with new leadership now. Uh, and you keep them their, you know, off, off your back and other insights. Uh, bodies or oversight bodies like CIDB and, and, and elsewhere and you've got a uh, number of years and for the last nine years Zuma and his henchmen have plundered the state and the private sector which um, one could argue well are they are, are they nothing to do with this or are they essential components in signing off and legitimizing some of these contracts through the the audits and and the, I, the contracts they take the simple question is we've got to ask the private industry that are right now involved mm. in Madupi and Kusile you know they know that the costs are through the roof Yet they're happy to continue being there, just building. Look at Itachi. Look at the hold on, you know, Chancellor House needs to invest in us before mm -hmm. the, uh, the tenders are given. And then, I mean, they're, they're in big trouble internationally. But all of these organizations, uh, it's a case of, well, if we don't do it, somebody else will. So let us make the profits type of attitude. Right. So, so what you're saying is these the directors of these companies are, are, are not looking through any causality further than I need to make profits, we need to get our bonuses, we need to keep our company competitive. So their view of the system they're sitting in mm -hmm. is simply their immediate competitive environment and, and the validation they'll get from their board that they've done a good business. But the consequences that you've laid out on you and me, on society, and mm. on, on, on proper spending on money on projects and, and for people to be able to come out of poverty is something that's totally opaque to them. Is that what you're suggesting? I'm suggesting that. I'm, mm. I'm suggesting that if you just look at the construction industry collusion that they were mm. caught out on, government had an opportunity to send a very clear message that this is how business wants to operate in this country, you will suffer the consequences. What were the consequences to that behavior? A 1.4 billion rand slap on the risk spread out between the uh, six to seven to eight companies over a, a, a number of years period, and they must transform and help small business. Now, that's good. In fact, they have to do that anyway in their CSI uh, approach to this country and, and its future. Uh, so that was not a fine. It was nothing. They should have been fined 10 times that. They should have jailed. They should have gone to court and jailed the CEOs and the MDs of those companies. That's now, what had to happen. Now, let's look at McKinsey happen. and Trillion. Hmm. Okay, so there's this 1.2 billion in yeah. commissions, etc., hmm. that are under dispute. From what I gather, the international partners of McKinsey have allocated that money for repayment from their own pockets and their own bonuses. Is this is true or not? If it's so, it indicates a lot of things. Firstly, that it means that, that international companies like McKinsey are horrified 
by the, the wreckage, potential wreckage to their reputation mm. done by people in the local offices, as we've seen with yeah. the fallout. KPMG McKinsey. as well. Yeah, KPMG. And Bell Pottinger's uh, suffered the yeah. consequences. KPMG is suffering heavily as a result of, of that audit on the rogue unit, which involved 23 people mm. over a year. And they got their 23 million rand for a year. And then they didn't even bother interviewing the people implicated. I mean, that's a sin. You don't do that. And it's, it's not right. And it seems to me you're changing the sort of game theoretic consequences of all this. In other words, the payoffs for short-term decisions or denialism or mm. tacit collusion are changing. So what you're making it personal now. So mm. people in businesses will get personal consequences. Yes. The transparency that you're raising will mean that my career, your career, if I, if I collude in these things, will, mm. will be challenged. My yes. family will know about it. It will yes. be forever available on the internet that we've been part of this. Yeah. So you're changing the payoff system here. Is that, is that what you're doing? So yeah. now it's becoming more and more untenable and uncomfortable to collude in these projects. Is that part of what your activism is? Yes, and we want business to come on board with us and the audit industry, and we want um, government to start putting in place structures that says, if you want to behave in this manner, there are consequences. Beware. We want boards to ask society to challenge them to find the corruption. We want moral courage at the highest level in the corporate uh, industry and to start asking of themselves of those questions. Are we going to continue down this road of making the rope to hang this country? with and tendering and beating each other up for that money uh, regardless right. of the future of our country or are we going to start acting differently to bring the prosperity and the, and the long-term sustainability of South Africa to the fore in everything that we do and so what this is this is the challenge that boards and senior executives must say to themselves he has a tender but it's flawed it needs uh, we've got to we got to pay and we can justify the facilitation fee i've seen this happening now we can look away and say no uh, we can turn away and say we will not do business like that or we can do it and justify it and pay ourselves some fat bonuses what are we going to do south africa first or me first and this is the dilemma and the questions that business is not having a hard and frank conversation with themselves. We want the public and civil society to have that conversation so that we can expose these organizations and these individuals and, uh, and put them where they belong. That sounds like um, dangerous work. Hmm. It sounds like here you are, Wayne Duvenage, you've taken this activist role and people will look at you and think, this guy's crazy or this mm. guy's exceptionally brave or this guy's driven and will wonder whether they want to put themselves into this hot spot. What have been the consequences on you mm. and, and your life and career in engaging in this activist role? And would you recommend it for others? Well, you know, I don't look at it from that point of view. So and I've come out of business. I've been an ex-CEO of, of, organization and sat on boards and, and 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 tourism boards and so forth so so I understand what happens on that side of, of the coin and it frustrates me that business isn't 
isn't challenging the status quo mm. enough. They have every right to, to, to stand up and be more coordinated, and they are coordinated. Business leadership, BUSA, these organizations all exist, yet they're not doing enough. If you look at business associations, many of them, SAIA, um, the, the, the insurance industry, the lighting industry, there's, there's so much uh, that they can do better to hold local government to account, national government to account on regulations that are just irrational for mm. job creation in this country, for instance. And there's a long list. I don't want to go into that now. So from my point of view, it's a case of, well, if we don't challenge, we are the problem. We are the problem as business. And I got a bit frustrated with that factor in business and said we have to challenge this irrational ETOL decision. And it just grew into into mm. into the space. Now, now, is it a dangerous game? You know, I think when you're standing in the way of people being able to benefit millions to billions of rands, mm. there has to be some danger in that. But we don't look at it from the – and I say we because arts is bigger than me now. And, you know, we've, yeah. we've got 43 staff and growing. Uh, um, it's a lovely structure. <clears throat> and all of these people are passionate about this country and its future. And uh, and we don't see the danger. We know that our phones are tapped. We know we're being listened to. We're often followed more so to find out who we're dealing with, uh, uh, who the whistleblowers might be, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And we've got processes in place to prevent uh, that type of exposure. But I don't think you can go into this game with a fear. You cannot fear death and that. You've got to obviously not be reckless. Mm-hmm. You, you, and I don't fear death. I think that, you know, when you're dead, you're dead. You don't know you're dead. Obviously, mm. there are worse things than death, and that's. Mm. Uh, but, but nonetheless, you, you you have to just follow the conviction and know that what you're doing is right. It's not wrong, um, and if somebody wants to get in the way of that and make your life difficult, well, then you deal with that then. But but that shouldn't stop you from making this decision to stand up and exercise the moral courage that we need. And we need. We need business to start doing this. Now. So this idea of the moral courage of leadership is mm. obviously something pretty important to you. I mean, yeah. We're a business school at Henley, and we, we aspire to, if not teach, then uh, encourage and stimulate leadership yeah. or create ways that people develop that leadership. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're an example of leadership in this space, and you're an example where people can say, wow, this is a dangerous space. And I, why I'm pushing on about this mm. is because I actually want to, understand this better because we need obviously more people mm-hmm. to be doing this sort of work mm-hmm. if it's going to help the country mm-hmm. and it's going to help development of the country so i'm curious about digging into those motivations mm. to see if other people can relate to it and maybe find a path forward in their own way so how would you encourage others or discourage them from following similar paths or how would you advise them to you know we've met and seen a lot of good people that have stood up. And unfortunately, they've done so in spaces where they were right to do so and were moved out of those positions, certainly in government and, and uh, uh, in government positions, oversight body positions. Those people need to be commended for what they've done. Mm-hmm. I think what we would be saying to business leadership is we know it's tough for you to make these decisions. Uh, we know that you don't want to cross swords with government because government starts influencing your regulations and that. But if not you, 
who is going to stand up? Because it, you can't rely on little organizations like Outer with its 40 mm. people and Section 27 and corruption. It's only a handful of us out there. And we are struggling. I mean, our funding mo models are under pressure. So, so you're saying business has real power here? They have massive power because really? business pays the PAYE, the company tax, the VAT over to government. Imagine, imagine the top 100 businesses which control probably, uh, you know, 70% of the country's revenue or taxpaying, sitting up with government in Nedlach with a different approach and saying, but Mr. Zuma, and go back four, five, six years, you're out of line. Mm. This is wrong. The Constitutional Court has ruled you're breaking your – we can't do business like this. And then puts a message out to all its members. If you allow these, 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 these corrupt transactions to happen, all of you, you know, we know what power stations should cost. We know what roads should cost. Mm. Do the benchmarking. And business leadership sets up its benchmarking approach. This is what we've had to do. And, and says something's wrong. Go and look. Auditors, go and dig and, and find it and stop this nonsense. But they haven't done that. They've played so the game. We've had a change recently. We have President Ramaphosa in now. Have you talked to him? I haven't personally spoken to him, but we're certainly speaking to his advisors and people like Praveen Gordon um, and Sabisi Jonas and others behind the scenes. There's a lot of good stuff happening, but new leadership in the context of the ruling party's dynamics and its complexities is hamstrung. Mm -hmm. It can't move at the pace that it should. It, it hasn't been able to make the bold statements and, and, and changes that it should have done by now. But we're on the right trajectory. We could get there a lot faster if business helped him along the way. So there's a thought. So we're on the right trajectory. Is this one of those seminal moments in South African history when people can get behind something, some new trend, a better trend? Is this a moment where we can make a difference if we absolutely if business stands up in that? How absolutely. That well, that works like this. It's the new narrative. It's a new conversation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's for instance, as I said earlier on, it's for boards of big business to say, we challenge you. Outer, you, employee, you, competitor, to find the corruption in our business. We will not pay facilitation fees mm. for business. That we will not inflate the price that government should be able to buy uh, uh, whatever services that we sell to the open market. So just so then you say as a board, you say to your auditing company, we're not going to restrict you anymore. Audit our books. But we want you to go and find the corruption. We invite you and we invite all our staff and their finance people. And then suddenly the deals and the things that are wrong in business start to come to fall. I'll give you some examples. There yeah. are some businesses that use a lot of water that have done the deal with a local municipality and their water meters are missing and they business benefits on that water and their costs would go up if they had to start paying for that water. Somebody five years ago got very rich. The MDs and business managers of those companies know that stuff. Get the boards to ask every manager, is there anything that's happening in your business that is untoward? Sign this document and send it back. And if you lie and you're found out, you will be fired. And then suddenly the questions are answered. Well, yes, we've got a free water main. We've got electricity coming in from here and there. This is crippling those local municipalities. Just that initiative alone starts to get the conversation going and, and, and starts to challenge our moral conscience. Right. So I'm making fat profits now. I'm getting a lack of bonus, but I know something's wrong and I'm, and I'm looking away. 
So there's this this looking away is critical, isn't it? I mean, we had um, the privilege of having Pravin Gordon talk uh, recently at, at one of our corporate activism sessions. Mm-hmm. One of the points he made was that we need to have a sense of citizenship. And so it strikes me that citizenship is about understanding causality on all our lives and society and on the dynamics of building a better and more prosperous yes. society. So are you saying that what we're looking for is to develop better citizenship in everybody and in workers yeah. which trumps narrow tribalism around our businesses and our narrow self-interest has to be sacrificed with a, a better understanding of cause and effects and how this will affect all our families within the next 20 yes. or 30 years yeah. is it that sort of thing it is that it is, is getting to understand that short-term thinking and short-term profits are a danger to this country and if mm. there's too much of it we all lose out but you know when you are insulated in your your zone you you tend not to do this. So you look away from what is right. And and that's exactly what we're saying here, John. We're saying the conversation and the narrative of what good corporate citizenship is about and what good active citizenship is about is just this stuff. Expose Mm. that which is wrong and be free to do so. And businesses should make it free to do so. So let's say a finance clerk in an organization that knows this is happening spells it out. Well, Today she gets fired, or he gets fired, or moved out, or made life is difficult. They should be made heroes. And businesses must put in the structures, not these typical little whistle-blowing things that they have which don't work. People are too scared to use the tip-offs line and the hotline because sometimes the senior management are involved in some of the corruption and, and they, get, uh, they get the wind of the information. So maybe we should start a National Heroes Award, a sort of alternative National Heroes Award, New African Heroes, not the old heroes. Um, who did so much in those times. But the new African heroes, what are you saying, are the people who are the whistleblowers for good. So watch yeah. the space. It's called the Moral Courage Awards. <laughs> right. Well, we'll be, we'll be on board with that one. Well, if, we're if we can help down the anyway. road on that, so we'd okay. love to work with you. Yeah, yeah but, but this excellent. is exactly it. We, uh, we, we, we have to recognize Mm. and pay tribute to people. And the yeah. Ivan van Lochrenbergs and, and, and the Ivan Pillays have lost their jobs as a result of, of bad reporting by KPMG. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they need to get back into those spaces. Mm. And, and the people that have stood up, some of them have been assassinated, mm. you know, in, in the political space uh, for standing up against corruption. So, and lost their jobs and their families have gone through trauma and hell because mm. they've done the right thing. They are heroes and they need to be recognized and then looked after and rewarded so three things we can do you and i normal average joes mm-hmm. in businesses whatever mm-hmm. it is we're doing we don't think this is much to do with us why oh mm-hmm. i'm somewhat powerless what can we do what can we advise people to do that's going to make a better south africa for everybody through this well i think become an active citizen now mm-hmm. what does that mean some people say well i clean up my park and the that's good that's great. That's a good start. Uh, you, you just do not uh, ha- have the hard conversations at the boardroom level, at the management level about things that are wrong. And and this is where you've got to go. Well, what is wrong and what is right? You know, it's just too easy to look away or not challenge something which is wrong. Sometimes because A, we don't have time and B, it's politically <clears throat> I'm going to be challenged. Um, and is this good for my job? Uh, and, and those are the tough conversations. But if more and more people are asking those questions and, con- and having those conversations in meetings and business meetings and boardrooms, I think the 
the morality of those organizations starts to shift in the right direction. And then get behind civil activist units and organizations like ourselves. You know, I mean, we've got uh, a few tens of thousands of people supporting us, but we should have a million. And when I say supporting, uh, 100 rand a month on average uh, in, in a donation, which is so easy, it takes five minutes How does do. somebody give you 100 rand a month? Right? Just go onto the website. At which, out, what's your website? Outer.co.za. O-U-T-A.co.za. Click uh, Become a Supporter. Uh, five minutes later, um, and every month your uh, your your account's debited by a hundred rand, and you are an active citizen because the more we have, the more we can do. So if I do that right now, outer.co.za, I'll run this in the background. See if I can donate while I'm talking to you. Okay. See if this works. Yeah, get your credit card or your bank account ready. You need to have that. And uh, yeah, it's very quick and simple. And and the organization that that manages our whole debit order process of uh, FICA accredited. uh, So I'm going to see if I can donate to you while I'm interviewing in real time to show how easy it is. So I click support outer. Here it is. Bingo, supporter, welcome to Effective Active Citizenry. Join as an individual supporter, that's easy. And preferred monthly contribution. And that's, uh, you've got options from 80 to 1,000 and other amounts. I'm gonna click on an undisclosed amount. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And then I need to put in my personal details, just as simple as that. Bingo, it's done. So if it's easier this to me to do while I'm just sitting on an interview with you, and all I have to do is put in my credit card number, I'm going to pass that to my colleague to do while we're, while I'm talking to you, and in the next two and minutes it. you'll have a contribution. Yeah. So that's yeah. all I have to do. That's all you have to do. And, and I feel great. I feel like I'm an active citizen supporting a movement. That's yeah. it. That's it. And the beauty yeah. of this is now you'll get our newsletters and you'll feel what we're doing and see what we're doing. Go into our website and you feel an active. You are now. I feel empowered. I feel empowered. I'm an activist now. There you are. And I'm building a better South Africa. That's it. And the more of you we get, the more people we employ, the more stuff we take on and fix in this country. This is a good feeling. We should do more of this. eh? At last, I feel like instead of sitting whining on what's going wrong, I've done something that makes me feel... This is what we're hearing a lot of people around the the dinner table and the bright conversations. There's a lot of complaining. and, and, And our supporters are saying... Or why don't you become an active citizen? What are you doing about it? Well, what can we do? Well, just support Arta. Give them 100 grand a month and, and, and know that this is what's happening. What is happening? And you find out. And, uh, and I mean, we get so much we get people doubling their contributions now, just loving what we're doing. Well, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a six-month trial, three-month trial, and I'll see yeah. about doubling after that. Okay. So this is interesting. Now, whatever part of the political spectrum you're on now, you've got – arguably a change of tone in government. Mm. So what do you say to somebody who's a DA supporter mm. and you're asking him to get behind Cyril Ramaphosa and Pravin Gordon mm. and the team that seems to be trying to change the dynamic mm. in a way that's going to create a fairer, more accessible South Africa where more general opportunity is provided to people, particularly to poor mm. people in the townships and mm. and the population of South Africa. Okay. This is what we're trying to do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not some white monopoly capital takeover. In fact, it's the opposite, isn't it? It's, it's a yeah. form of, of, of socioeconomic empowerment at a deep, deep level. This is what we're doing with these activist movements. Isn't that right? This is where civil society comes in. So the first thing is we are apolitical. And the beauty about supporting a civil activist movement, a credible one, as opposed to a political party, and there's, there's competition between us and political parties, by the way, as a result of this, is that 
we steer away from the political element of what has to happen. So obviously people can go and vote, but politics is about every five years. You become relevant. Where civil activism, you're relevant every day. We don't wait for elections to do our stuff. We call it current democracy. We are challenging that which is wrong now. Current so, democracy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So in other words, working through activist organizations, you can influence things for the better on a day-to-day -day basis instead of waiting for an election every now and again. Is, is, so that's a, that's a change in power dynamic for well, citizens, right? It absolutely right? is. And let me give you, tell you why, how this works. Look at the ETOL matter. It became something that uh, a political party would have jumped on at the time of elections. Yet we were working on this for some time long before that and on continue to do it. So it's not about electioneering. It's not about we'll, we'll challenge and take down ETOLs if uh, you vote for us. This is about getting behind an organization that is going to do it because you can't fight these things every five years. And this is why uh, Dr. Makosi Kosa joined us. You know, she was a prominent a ANC MP trying to fight corruption from the inside in politics and eventually resigned. And she said, it's just, it's, you, you're just constantly against this wall of, of, mm. of po pol political dynamics. And yet here we are launching a local uh, government initiative at ATA where she can touch the people's lives every day. You know, you live in a municipality, you die in a municipality, you drink water from a municipality, mm. and all of those municipalities, most of them in this country, are, are going in the wrong direction due to corruption, maladministration. And we can go and fix that if we get into those communities and help them understand, A, their power, their rights, B, bring uh, other people into those local municipalities and start holding the municipal manager and the finance manager and the mayor to account and put them in jail if they're corrupt. We can do that every day. And, we and that's, do that. that's, that's an amazing consequence. I mean, we tend to think, I may be wrong, we tend to think in terms of political arenas, business arenas, civil society, mm. the media. But what we're talking about here is not contributions to help civil society or help communities. Mm. What we're talking about is building a context where multiple businesses thrive, where we create lots of opportunity for small businesses to grow because the money has not been stolen exactly. and extracted offshore. Exactly. An entrepreneurial dynamic in the country that, that's vital and vibrant and the sort of place you would like your kids to grow up in yeah. and in fact everyone would like to get their kids to grow up in which, which provides opportunity so the, the real problem here is that these ideas of corruption the, i mean the, the activities of corruption are not among an elite and they're not a victimless crime it's not even that they're affecting the poor they're affecting all our futures they're a massive, massive break on the evolution of a of a decent and productive and exciting, uh, yeah. thriving society, right? Absolutely. That's it. If we fix this, the sky's the limit. We'll have double, we'll, we'll have uh, five, six, seven, eight percent growth year on year for many years. If we can just bring that hundred billion rand or have stopped that loss to corruption and more to when you add up maladministration over mm -hmm. the last few years and, and, and gross incompetence and, and just get this country working in the and right direction. The consequential direction. effect of the, of the waste of that money, the leverage effect, multiplier Man, effect. It's just we, no one will touch us. So that's, no your, touch that's us. your vision then. This is that about is building it. a better. This is, uh, this is a prosperous Africa. South Africa that benefits all. And sadly, the poorest of the poor suffer the consequences of corruption. You and I, we send our kids to private schools. We'll, mm. we'll have our medical aid in that. The poor 
just suffer the worst. And it's for them I'm the saddest because they get laughed at when they go and report something and, and, stolen and, in the police station. They don't medical. They don't. They go to the, they go to the hospitals and they're treated like it's just diabolical what's happening. This poor is a future intelligentsia and productive base and a creative base of our country because these are talented individuals who need to be given opportunity by the work you do. So Wayne Duvenage, thank you so much. It's been a privilege to interview on Heli Intelligence. I hope you'll come back. I'm proud that I'm a personal supporter. So um, and it was so easy. So let's let's have a go at doing this. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you and look forward to working with you guys on there's there's a lot to be done out there and this right. is an exciting future for us. Well I'm pas- passionate about this country. That was an interview with Wayne Duvenage, who is the CEO of Outer the organization undoing tax abuse and what's come out of that conversation for me is just this understanding that activism isn't about one person standing up and screaming against power it's actually part of a movement to transform a system into one that is productive and thriving and fair and provides opportunity and as such it strikes me that that, that we as business people organization people or just as citizens have more than an observer's duty here or more than a passive support duty. We, if we want to make these futures happen, we, we have an obligation and a moral duty and a personal opportunity to support and make positive change. This is, this is our time. And I think that what Wayne has taught me is that against what seem like insuperable odds is possible. So Wayne is a normal man like you and me, who's decided to make a difference. And um, we can do the same. For more Henley Intelligence Conversations, visit www.henleysa.ac.za.